0: Hello and welcome to Money Chill Out, the podcast to get inspired and feel good about your money. I'm Maika Fino, a woman in my thirties, ex-trader in the city of London, yoga teacher, and owner of my financial empowerment business. On this podcast, I want to open up the discussion around money and investments and dive into personal finance management, which can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversations on money, mindsets, investment habits, and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. You too can get financial peace of mind, and it starts with empowerment and knowledge. Let's go. So hi, Stefan, How are you?
1: Hi, Maïka. I'm fine. Thank you. And you?
0: Yeah, really good. Thank you. I'm uh, just back from holiday, so really in a good mood. (laughs) Thank you so much uh, to be on this podcast. We actually got to meet through a friend that we have in common. So, Marin, if you ever listen to us, thank you so much. And today we will speak about the different types of investment professionals when you have a financial need, as sometimes you can feel a bit lost and overwhelmed in finding the right person. So if I present yourself, you're a financial advisor, you're helping your client materialize their projects and reach their goals, providing them with advice and investment solutions. But you're self-employed, which means that you can sell products from a wide range of financial institutions. You're regulated by the French market authority, which is a requirement as soon as you sell products to retail investors to make sure that you actually sell something that is suitable for your clients. Did I miss anything?
1: Yes, exactly. No, it's perfect.
0: (laughs) Okay, cool. So without going into too many details, can you give us an overview of the different financial professionals so that we get the full picture and know what's out there? So I did very quick list myself and it's probably not exhaustive, but I thought about financial advisors, financial planners, retail bankers, brokers, private bankers, family office and tax advisor, which is (laughs) crazy. So can you go through them?
1: That's a good list. And indeed, it can be a bit scary because uh, many different names. So the financial advisors and financial planners provide advice on a wide range of financial topics, including investments, retirement planning, and insurance. I'm situated in this category. Like you said, I'm a financial advisor. Retail bankers work for banks and help customers with everyday financial tasks, such as opening an account or applying for a loan. But they can also sell investment solutions provided by uh, their employer brokers buy and sell securities on behalf of clients. Then you have the private bankers who work with high net worth individuals and provide them with personalized financial advice and services. Then family offices, provide comprehensive wealth management services also for a wealthy family. And then you have the tax advisor who specialize in tax planning and uh, compliance. These professionals may have uh, varying levels of independence and may work for different types of financial institutions. They can also develop their own specialty and work as a team in complementary to meet the needs of the clients.
0: Mm-hmm. So how would you differentiate them then? Is it all about giving advice or not, being independent, giving empowerment or only based on wealth?
1: Good question. As I just briefly explained, each actor differentiates themselves first by the targets of clients that they address in terms of wealth. Then apart from retail bankers who are by definition employees of a company, a bank, all other actors can be either employees of companies or self-employed. And it is in this distinction that we will see the level of advice vary as well as the independence with a better score for actors who are self-employed. And then the degree of pedagogy and empowerment, regardless of the status of the professional, will depend, I would say, on the business vision of the actor and their way of acquiring and following clients. This can be either through classic commercial prospection with high client acquisition goals to offset the costs, or essentially through word of mouth, and in this case, I think, it's my opinion, with better quality of service. Another point to note, which will differentiate these sectors, is how they will be paid, either through retro commissions on investment solutions they will implement for their clients, through invoicing of fees, or both.
0: Yeah. And for example, you, how does it work for you?
1: Both. It's in part a retro commission on investment solution I can implement for my clients, and then a fees for special advice on specific topics.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. So... What are the main reasons people would want to see someone and ask for help?
1: For many reasons, because these topics uh, affect everyone, in fact, regardless of income or wealth uh, level. And to get to the point, I can uh, share with you five main reasons I've identified, which explain why so many people could uh, seek the help of a professional. The first one is retirement planning. People may seek the help uh, to plan for their retirement, and this may include assessing their current financial situation, setting financial goals for retirement, and developing a strategy to achieve those goals. The second reason could be investment management, and individuals who want to invest their money but are unsure of where to start or how to do it may seek the help to identify suitable investment opportunities and create a diversified portfolio. Third one is the debt management. Individuals who have significant debt may seek help to create a plan for paying off their debts. And in this case, a professional may help them create a budget and negotiate with creditors and develop a plan for becoming debt-free. The fourth one is tax planning. They may seek help from a professional to minimize their tax liability by identifying tax-efficient investment strategies and developing a tax plan that takes advantage of all available tax deductions and credits depending on the country of residence. And for instance, in France, it's a magnificent country, but one that is not known for the simplicity of its administrative system. So it's, it's very useful to be guided by a professional when settling in our country, for example. And then the final reason, it's the estate planning. People may want to ensure that their assets are distributed according to their wishes after they die, and so they can uh, seek the help of a professional to build, create an estate plan that includes a will, trust, uh, other legal documents that will ensure that their assets are, are distributed uh, according to their wishes.
0: Mm-hmm. And thanks for these five points because I think they cover pretty a broad, uh, a broad view. From as you said, a debt to having goals and and investments and retirement and even beyond yourself. So yeah, really, really interesting to see that. So let's go now into what I call the distrust in the traditional finance. So that's clearly on this assumption that I launched my financial empowerment business because I realized there are many issues people face, like fear and defensiveness about meeting with the banker. Sometimes there's shame attributed to it. There's relatability with the jargon used sometimes and age and gender representation too. So on top, there's a huge lack of knowledge. No one is really trying to solve. And that's why I think coaching is a perfect response in the upstream part of the reasoning. Yes, of course, we will always need financial institutions because I don't sell products, so you still need to buy some. But you need someone that is helping you strategy-wise that is unbiased and agnostic to your choices and who helps you structure and understand what you're trying to achieve, why you want it, and how you're going to do it. So my clients with me first get empowered, learn a lot, and then meet with financial planners. And the experience is very different because you're in charge, you're leading, you're assertive, and you can even negotiate, which is sometimes amazing. (laughs) So let's go back to each of these points. And how you as a young investment professional try to solve them. So the first one I was talking about is the fear and the mistrust. So fear of meeting with the bankers and defensive because you have the impression that they're going to make you sign or buy something that you're unsure of. But also mistrust as you wonder if the guy in front of you is actually working for you and with you or just trying to sell the highest margin product, for instance. So how do you deal with that? I completely
1: agree with you and I definitely think your role is essential. Uh, that's why we are having this conversation right now. I'm really pleased. And I'm happy to exchange uh, thoughts uh, on your podcast. Thanks again for, for the invitation. And I'm convinced that we complement each other, like you said. It's always better to be empowered first to learn and understand what we are talking about before making any uh, decision. So, to address this concern, first, I will say that I prioritize building a relationship of trust and transparency with my clients. And this involves uh, taking time to listen to their needs, concerns, providing clear and honest information. Then, I used to take a holistic approach to financial planning, considering not just the investment products, uh, but also tax planning, retirement planning, and estate planning, among other factors. And this helps ensure that my clients will receive comprehensive advice that takes into account their unique financial situation and goals. And finally, I am committed to maintaining a fiduciary duty to my clients, meaning that I am legally obligated to act in their best interest at all times. This provides an additional layer of assurance that I'm working for and with my clients to help them achieve their their financial goals. And um, quickly, I, I can describe the several types of fiduciary duties. The first one is the duty of loyalty, which implies that I will always act in the best interests of my client. Then there is the duty of care, which means that I will take special care to make sound, sensible decisions regarding my client's well-being. And finally, the duty to disclose, which refers to the fact that I have to disclose any conflict of interest I may have when I am acting on behalf of my client.
0: Mm -hmm, Super clear. And I like the fact that you talk about well-being as well, because sometimes the best decision is not necessarily aligned with (laughs) the way you feel so. Cool. And there's also shame or apprehension, hence people actually hide facts. And those facts can be pretty important in the decision process. So how can you provide advice if there's not a true relationship? Or in other words, how do you build yours?
1: Interesting question. I would start by being a bit uh, philosophical and saying that uh, money is not an end in itself, but rather a mean to live a fulfilling life according to our values. And some of us uh, can aspire to what is called financial freedom, which means no longer being limited in our life choices and reducing the mental burden that money worries can cause sometimes. And on a topic as intimate as money, there is no advice without trust. Point. (laughs) It's mandatory, I would say, to build first confidence, a trustful relationship, and then enter a client-advisor relation. So if during my work with a client, there are doubts that arise, or if I feel that our relationship is not strong enough, I just press the pause button and step back before discussing any technicalities or solutions to implement. And I will share with you some things, how I do to build uh, a strong advisor-client relationship. First and foremost, I prioritize active listening. It's one of my key—how um, do you say? Skill. Uh, exactly, key skill is to really take the time to understand their unique, personal, and financial goals, concerns, and needs. And in this way, I would be able to tailor my advice to their specific circumstances. Of course, I inform them that I'm bound by professional secrecy, and that everything we exchange will remain strictly confidential. And I involve them by explaining that the quality of my advice will depend on the quality of the information they will accept to share with me. There is no obligation, but this is a fact.
0: Yeah, but it's a win-win relationship then. That's why it's good. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Then I will say to them that I'm always available to answer questions and provide updates. Like a coach, it's always reassuring for the client to know that they always can rely on uh, somebody uh, attentive at any time. Following up with my clients on a regular basis is also really important to monitor their financial progress and make uh, any necessary adjustments. And finally, I will never emphasize enough the importance of transparency in our work from the fees associated with our services to any conflict of interest that may arise. And this will help build trust and confidence. So like you said on the win-win relation, I see the advisory relationship as a partnership and as a form of dance where both participates in balancing everything to be able to move forward over time. So it's more than legitimate to apply to ourselves as financial professionals the same degree of transparency and information sharing than the one we expect uh, from our clients.
0: Makes total sense. And have you advised friends or family or have you ever refused a client
1: It's a good question. Yes, indeed, of course, I help uh, those around me who I care for them the most to help them uh, make uh, sensible and sound uh, financial decisions. And many of my clients were friends before or became friends after the advisory. And uh, I don't think I refuse the clients. Oh, I could say I refuse to help somebody at a special moment because for two reasons that could arise. Uh, whether I lack technical skills for their situation. So I need to learn or find somebody else to present them that will be more professional for their uh, special needs. So that's the first reason. And the second one is telling them to be patient and to wait for that we see each other again later once they have secured the basis of their financial pyramid, I would say, that they have savings accounts, that they are debt-free and so on. So those could be the two reasons to say, uh, see you later. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. No, but it, it's super interesting again, because I like the fact that you use a holistic approach and I think, yeah, you're still in the investment part, but you need to make sure that it makes sense to the overall situation. So yeah, it makes sense. And um, last issue that I uh, thought of was a big relatability issue with investment professionals, not necessarily adapting to the clients and using jargon. It's especially true for women. So how are you mindful of this?
1: Here again, I'm aware that there is this big uh, gap sometimes with uh, a lot of jargon that is used. And uh, it's shameful because our work, yours and and mine, are not so that complicated, I would say. Uh, We need to be passionate and wanting to learn. But it's kind of straightforward. And I think the industry has, has made it more complicated than it is, perhaps because they had some things to hide. And that's shameful. And so we need, both of us, to prioritize education. And I could have put the education matter on my previous sensor because it builds also a trust. I strongly believe in educating my clients about financial concepts and strategies so that they can make informed decisions about their money. So I explain complex financial concepts in simple terms and I provide clear explanation of the various products and services that are on the market or that I can offer. And this is for mainly two simple reasons. Firstly, as uh, somebody that uh, we all know, uh, Warren Buffett, uh, said, never invest in a business you can't understand. And he's damn right. This allows for the necessary due diligence to prevent succumbing to the FOMO, the fear of missing out, and getting caught uh, up in shiny trends. Because here, the goal is to keep the focus on the long term. So we need to understand what we are doing. And the second point is because the only growth lever I choose for developing my business is through the word of mouth. So I have an extra interest in educating my clients and making sure they fully understand the strategy we build together so that they feel confident, satisfied and involved in the advice. And this will make it easier for them to recommend me to their peers.
0: <laughs> no, that's so true. And I'm still the to say for me, the word of mouth is working perfectly. So again, it's super, super important. Yeah. So we've spoken about the wealth and the fact that the more wealth you have, the more options. But what would you say for someone who's just starting his career or doesn't have a a massive wealth, even at a later stage in life? What are the, the options?
1: As I said, I'm transparent and I often show the behind the scenes aspects of my work. And so I explained to my clients that there are mainly four different levers of wealth creation that we all share, but that can't be activated for everyone at the same time. So here they are. Accounts, saving power, credits, and taxations. Accounts, it's the pockets of available money in addition to the precautionary savings. Then the saving power is the once we make the financial budgets, it's all that remains when we take out the expenses from the, the revenues. Then comes the amount that can be borrowed at the bank to make real estate investments. And finally, the level of taxation that applies uh, to all the income we earn and that can be redirected to some investment solutions. So regardless of your income level, creating and sticking to a budget is really an important step in managing your finance. Uh, this involves tracking your income and expenses and making adjustments as needed to ensure that you are living within your means. And this way, even if you don't have a lot of money to invest, starting small is better than not starting at all. So considering opening a saving account and contributing a small amount regularly, which can help build wealth over time, will control the risk you take thanks to the the famous uh, DCA, dollar cost averaging. So starting in your career, putting a little amount of money with the dollar cost averaging method is a good point. And of course, one of the best investments that we can make regardless of our income level, is to invest in ourselves. That is to train ourselves to be more effective in our activity and hope to quickly earn uh, more money and also educate ourselves on financial literacy by listening to uh, the Money Chillout uh, podcast, for example, to gain experience and then be ready to make good decisions when we have uh, the sufficient uh, money to invest uh, in the future.
0: Makes sense, yeah. And what trends do you see in the market or in terms of your clients' interest?
1: I think this is my favorite question so far, because it's really interesting as uh, money professionals, I I would say, to see uh, on which aspects people are waiting for our help. I see an increased focus on sustainable investing uh, with a growing understanding that investing according to our values does not mean renouncing performance, quite the contrary. I think that companies that anticipate reputational and environmental risks will be the most resilient in the long term. I also see a growing concern about retirement, and especially along my fellow citizens in France, because our public retirement system is under strain. If you watch the news, uh, you, you can see that it's a really uh, tough topic in France now. So there is an awareness of the importance of building its own retirement plan. This is a subject that is already been integrated in Anglo-Saxon's uh, country for, for some time, but in France, we are getting to it. Then a fundamental question that I've been asked for years is whether to buy or rent our living residence where we live. Uh, and this subject is becoming more complex with the, the rising uh, interest rates. And it's really important to educate people on that because uh, the low rates that uh, we experienced uh, before was not a normality. So we are coming back to normality uh, now. And finally, uh, more and more people who are interested in cryptocurrencies are asking me questions particularly in terms of asset selection and security of detention. And in France, regulation is rapidly uh, advancing on this subject with partners that uh, become uh, approved by the the Financial Market Authority. And yes, one last trend I can identify is the the desire to rationalize family investments through creation of specific structure to optimize transmission and the use of uh, credit leverage. Those are the the main trends at the moment in terms of uh, client investing.
0: Yeah, and and again, I think it's really good because it's broad, right? And um, without the do-it-yourself options and platforms that are available now in the market and have emerged in the last few years, do you see an impact on your activity? And, and how do you justify your knowledge and service?
1: Yes, it is true. You're right that various fintech companies or, or websites or startups now offer uh, solutions and useful information to increase knowledge on investment topics. I think the impact on my activity is reasonable. Uh, Indeed, some clients ask me for my opinion on these online uh, solutions. And based on my professional experience and my uh, attraction, my appetite for technological solution, I provide neutral feedback. I will say that if I find that a solution corresponds to their situation and objective, I encourage them to use it and say that I will always be available uh, if they need me uh, for extra information. What I've noticed in the era where... uh, Uh, Technology accelerates on sensitive subjects such as money and strategic decisions that will impact uh, personal life on many fronts and for the long term. People tend to to stick to prefer to discuss with a human and and feel the trust, the listening and uh, the education. The main resources that we all have at our disposal and that we spend and invest as we wish are time and money. And therefore, either the person has time and the will to do things by herself and eventually save some fees of professional assistance, or they accept to pay for a professional service to save time and peace of mind. It is always the same debate, whether it be in a company or at a personal level, do I internalize or do I outsource? So I think I find it interesting to make the, the following metaphor. When our car breaks down, we have the choice to learn online and fix it ourselves, Or we go to the mechanic and pay for the service. And just on the invoice, we see the breakdown of what is charged by the mechanic. So this is important uh, to know that the various fees that are charged by a financial uh, advisor must be put uh, in transparency. And as we said, it's not always been the case in the industry, and that's why I think There is a distrust and a questioning of the compensation of professionals. But uh, I think that uh, we deserve, like many other professions, to be paid. And if we couldn't make a living by doing our jobs, we wouldn't be even having this discussion uh, on the podcast right now. So Mm -hmm. this is always the same, whether a choice of doing the things by ourselves or getting help.
0: Yeah, but I like the parallel between time and resources and energy and even like uh, peace and and well-being if you're in charge versus if you let someone to do it. Yeah. So let's go to the end. And because you're an advisor and because you advise people on what to do, I'd like to ask you about your own portfolio. (laughs) So do you apply in your own concepts and and how are your asset splits?
1: Of course, I apply my my concepts. Uh, It's essential. Confident in the quality of my advice, I will apply the same strategies and asset allocation as my clients. And I will show them this will also build extra trust. And personally, I would never advise them to invest in a solution that I wouldn't invest in myself. This way, I feel aligned with my ethic, my values, and I'm sure that my business uh, can be sustainable for the long term. So what will change, of course, is the asset split based on the risk profile and the life stage. Me personally, I'm 34 years old with no children, self-employed and working in the financial industry. So I have a high risk profile and therefore my allocation is is adjusted accordingly and and is the following. I have 50% in mutual funds and and stocks, 20% in real estate investment trusts, 10% in private equity, 10% 10% in commodities and 10% in crypto assets. And I make this uh, asset split vary according of uh, the opportunities I can see uh, arise uh, on the markets.
0: Mm-hmm. And when you say 50% of funds or equities, like do you invest more in stock picking or do you have a big chunk in funds?
1: Good question. I have a big chunk in uh, in funds uh, because it's time saving, and I think um, that when I'll grow uh, older and that I uh, will work a bit less, I won't be acquiring new clients. I will only be uh, serving my existing uh, client portfolio. I will have more time to be stock picking uh, because it's a hobby also, and and it's something that I like to do. But that it's uh, it takes time. So for the moment, I trust in the advantages of uh, mutual funds. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah super super clear. And what about private equity is it fund of fund then?
1: Yes, the same applies it's funds. For the I've got some friends in the startup uh, industry because I worked in, uh, in in startups who have this extra uh, skill and experience and because they have the time and the wealth to do it and so then they pick special uh, companies. I prefer uh, the same for mutual funds.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um any advice you want to share to end
1: Ah, With pleasure. I could say that uh, patience is the key. And when we are afraid of something, it's because uh, usually we don't understand it. So we postpone important decisions. And yet, I would say that it's better to invest first and then wait rather than waiting and then investing. And uh, to end up on a philosophical uh, say, uh, I would, like the Chinese proverb goes, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. But the second best time is today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well, thank you so much, Stefan, for the discussion. I really enjoyed it. I think it's really good to have the broad vision and really understand like the different aspects of or players in the space. So thank you so much for shedding a light. And I really like the way you do it as well, which is holistic, explaining. So thank you so much and uh, all the best.
1: Cool. Thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure talking with you.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. So at the end of this episode, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at maricafino.com And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and spread the word. Thank you!